All right. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So today I have James Duffy on the line with me. Um, you know, uh, first of, first off, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, uh, you know, like everybody else, you're at home, but uh, the struggles here are not uh, nearly as much as what everybody out there on the front lines is doing. So uh, it's been three weeks now, I think, since I've been home and uh, have my two daughters who are here. My son's still at university, sort of living in his house, doing schooling there. But uh, it, it hasn't been bad at all. We're doing stuff from TSN from here, you know, insider trading and the quiz. And when I get off with you, I'm doing an interview with Paul Maurice. So that kind of stuff keeps me busy, learning a lot about technology, which I was useless at. But uh, it's going fine. That's good. Uh, so then uh, what made you go into sports journalism? You know, what, what interested about you? Yeah, it's a, so I was like a lot of guys and gals. Uh, I was a sports nut growing up, uh, you know, played everything and loved everything and watched everything. And I can remember going into my guidance counselor's office in grade uh, 12. I was back in the grade 13 uh, days. What, how, what grade are you in? Uh, grade 11. Yeah, grade 11. So I think in grade 12, so it would have been the same equivalent for you. I went, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. I went into the guidance counselor said, I want to do something with sports. And she popped it into her computer back before we had the internet and everything. And, uh, I uh, came up like sports administrations, journalism, and I can't remember what the other thing was, sports marketing or something. And so I applied for all those and got into journalism at uh, Carleton and I was, uh, ended up going there. I was going to actually go take phys ed and be a gym teacher, go to McGill and play football and take phys ed, but I decided to take journalism knowing that I wanted to do sports, but it took me a long time. I wasn't, uh, maybe I had to do seven years of news, I think, before I ended up doing sports. So I covered fires and murders and politics and all those things, but because it was hard to get a sports job back then. Okay. And uh, yeah, finally was able to switch over and uh, have been doing it ever since. So uh, it was just, you know, once I realized I wasn't going to be a professional athlete and that dawned on me, uh, I, I wanted to be involved somehow. And I figured broadcasting was the next best thing. Oh, definitely. Um, so then uh, I just want to touch on like, how did you get to work for TSN? So uh, TSN, you have to remember, it's a different time. So 19, I started at TSN in 98. So uh, when, you know, when I was first started working sports, I was working at a TV station in Ottawa. And TSN was really young and new and uh, basically just been on the air for a few years. But it started to establish itself as this uh, pretty cool thing. And uh, so I thought that's someplace I might want to go. And I think what happened was I was doing sports in Ottawa and the, the vice president of TSN saw me doing something. It was actually the opening night of the new arena in Ottawa for the Senators. And I was, okay. doing, like a, I was doing a live shot and I guess he liked me or something. And he gave me a call and said, why don't you come for an audition? So I went for an audition at TSN, which is, uh, I still look back and think that that is one of the biggest, you know, most important days of my life career wise. Uh, and I thought I did pretty well, uh, but I didn't get the job. And uh, I took another job in Vancouver. And yeah, I remember the right. guy saying, the, I remember the boss saying to me, his name's Keith Pelley, who now uh, leads the European golf tour. He said, I want to hire you someday. I just can't hire you right now. And I said, okay, I'm moving to Vancouver with my girlfriend to take another job. I, I want to live out there for a couple of years. So don't call me in, you know, 10 months or something like that. Call me in two years. And he called me in six months and offered me a job and, uh, uh, it was hard to say no, even though I loved, I really loved living in Vancouver at the time. So it was a bit of a difficult choice, uh, but 
uh, I really knew that that's where I wanted to be at TSN. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I did read your book, The Guy on the Left. So I do remember some of that part right. there, your story uh, being featured in there. Um, so, you know, you did say that uh, you're a very active guy. Uh, what sports did you play, whether it was in high school or university? So soccer, I grew up in Victoria and where we used to play soccer all winter. The season was, I think, October to April, believe it or not. And um, my dad coached. So I played soccer, you know, rep soccer, and I played at a pretty high level when I, I moved to Ottawa. But I switched to football in high school. And I played hockey, too, but I was never a great hockey player. Like, I played one-year rep. And uh, I, because I, when I lived in Victoria, I never, I never knew how to skate. So I moved to Ottawa when I was eight years old. I didn't know how to skate. So I was be so far behind everybody. And I kind of caught up by the time I was 14, but then got into girls and everything else. And so my hockey career didn't really go anywhere. Uh, but football became my real love in high school. And uh, that was the one thing I thought I had. I got recruited by McGill and was going to go to McGill and play football there. Um, but sort of made this decision that I, I, I do journalism instead. But I loved everything. I loved golf. Uh, in my early years, me and a buddy used to sneak onto this public course in Ottawa. We used to sh I used to like throw rocks at his window at four in the morning. We'd take the bus there and we'd sit on the tee waiting for the sun to come up uh, and then try to get our key was if we got through nine holes before anybody showed up at the clubhouse at 6 a.m. that we could walk off at 18 and just go home. Oh, well, that's a I, good idea. <laughs> I, I, I think we kind of knew it was illegal, but not really. We kind of thought, well, it's a public golf course. So if you can get there before the open, you're allowed to do that. And that's what we did like every day in the summer. So, but I, I loved everything. Uh, I would watch, you know, college basketball, college football, uh, you name it. I, I basically watch everything uh, on sports, on television. And that's one, one thing I tell people, Michael, is that I think I, I probably knew way more about sports at 18, 19 than even I do now, because when you have three kids and you have a life, yeah, it's exactly. hard. To keep, it's hard. You have, yeah. yeah. You have to give up on, on things back then when you're your age or even into your early twenties, you could watch everything. Like I, I figured I knew stats on, you know, baseball. I knew every player in the majors because I played fantasy baseball, you know, basically within about two points, their, their averages and RBIs and home runs. And uh, yeah, I was a complete nut bar, but uh so I always think that's a great irony is that the higher you get in sports casting, you know, probably the less you really know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably shouldn't be saying, but it's probably true. Uh, do you wish you could be uh, a nut bar, like you said? Uh, no, simply because, you know, I love having a family and I don't regret any of that. And I think it is important to be a well-rounded person. I Back in those days, that's all I had. That's literally, you know, I'd watch sports all day and uh, – play in my fantasy leagues and, you know, maybe go out at night. But uh, that was everything to me. And it was a great time in my life. But uh, I always say I had this philosophy. I might have said it in the book that uh, you have to drop a sport with every child you have. So, you know, my, my first child is born. I have to drop college basketball. Second child is born. I drop baseball. Third child is born. I can't remember what I dropped with the third one. But uh uh, with my job now, I try to focus on the sports that I cover. So oh, definitely, hockey, yeah. Hockey, golf, you know, NFL, CFL, uh, some NBA. Those, those are the sports I try to focus on. I, yeah, base, yeah, for baseball sure. I've complete, baseball I've completely lost, which is a shame because it may have been my favorite when I was younger. But when the Expos died, I, I kind of lost, uh, lost interest a little bit. It's sad to see that we only have one Canadian team. Like, I'm pretty sure we could probably support another one. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, the Expos could have worked. Uh, the stadium was a disaster. Ownership was a disaster. And But I still think it could come back and be successful in Montreal if they got a nice stadium. Uh, there's an amazing fan base I still think that exists in Montreal, and it's a great city for that. Um, yeah, I used to worship the Expos. I would take the bus from Ottawa every Saturday to go down and watch games. And uh, uh, that was my, my, my real passion. So there's no sport that I went from knowing more and loving more to knowing less and loving less than baseball, I would say. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so then what played in your decision to attend Carleton rather than go to McGill? Yeah, that's uh, I, I try to think back sometimes. I, I think that I part of it was money, frankly. Uh, you know, we were a middle class family, um, but my dad also believed in, you know, doing things on your own. And it was expensive residence and those things, and they were going to help me. But uh, I, I remember the, getting the ticket of how much res and everything was going to be, and I wasn't sure that I could afford it or that would be really hard to afford it. And so living at home and going to Carleton for a couple of years, which is what I did for the first two years of Carleton was, was more appealing. But I think more so I kind of had this moment where I was going to go to McGill and play football and, uh, you know, take phys ed, be a gym teacher and have five awesome years at McGill. And, and I, I think at the last second I said, uh, I wanted to do something more with my life. And there's no offense to gym teachers who I, I love and worship everything the teachers do, but I wanted to, I wanted the horizons to be a little more expanded. Yeah, and for I thought, sure. I thought journalism might open the door for me to do more things, you know, hopefully sports, but if it wasn't sports, just, you know, maybe something a little bit bigger. And so I, I kind of proud of myself because I was 18 or whatever. And to make that decision and at Carleton at the time, if you took journalism, you couldn't play football. And oh, so, really? yeah, cause a lot of the, the assignments were at night when football practices oh, were at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I had to give that up, which was hard, but uh, it's not look, it's not like I was going to be a yeah. football player or anything like that. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I made a, in the end, I made a, what turned out to be a pretty good decision. Uh, that's good. Uh, so could you speak upon like the program at Carleton? Yeah, I really loved it. Um, I didn't necessarily love first year, which was a lot of theory and, you know, really heavy stuff and. I got into journalism wanting to learn, you know, how to talk on TV and how to write. Yeah. So the first year back when I did it was more of a weeding out process where I think they, they found out who was really serious and who was a good academically and everybody else. It was really hard. I think you had to have an A or an A minus average to get into second year. And they went from maybe 300 students in first year down to 90 or something for oh, second wow. year. So it was pretty cutthroat and ruthless. Um, but once you got past that, I really love the last three years. And I'm not sure it's, that's the same. It's been a long time. Carlton may oh, yeah, change yeah. his program somewhat. But, uh, uh, you know, you really got to do hands-on stuff of writing assignments and radio and television and, and also really learn how to write. And that was the one thing I think that Carlton did uh, that I think better than other, some other schools is they really taught you how to write. And that doesn't mean writing books or stories, but writing for radio, writing for yeah. television. There was a big emphasis on that there. And I still see people who come into TSN who are, you know, amazing with technology and amazing with all the new apps and, you know, can make these really ridiculously good videos, uh, but can't write very well. Yeah, uh, that's I think true. That a, yeah. Lot, a lot of the schools maybe don't pay as much attention to that. So uh, that's the greatest thing I can say about Carlton is it really taught me to be a good writer. And I think that really helped me in my career. Yeah, that's good. Um, so you did work with Lisa Laflamme, I believe, for the 2010 Olympics. 
Yeah. Um, what was your reaction to Crosby's golden goal? Oh, man. Well, I, I almost missed it, which, again, I might have wrote about in the book. So my son had a playoff game at the exact same time, which is crazy. Whoever scheduled that is nuts. But uh, so he was back in where I live in north of Toronto, and uh, I kept checking my phone. I was sitting here going, okay, what score, what score, what score, what score? And I literally, it was so ner- it was so tense in that building in overtime, and it was so quiet that you could you could hear as everybody on TV, you could hear Crosby yell Iggy, right? And so I remember we had this really cool set, which was right behind, uh, in this case, the American goal, and it was right above the Zambon where the Zamboni came out, and it was like a pop up set. So during the game, we literally sat in the crowd with the fans. Uh, and then at the end of the period, the set would kind of pop out um, and the cameras would come up and we'd do our thing. And so I was sitting next to Bob McKenzie and I think uh, Darren Pang and Nick Kiprios. That was our panel back then, because remember, it was Sportsnet and TSN yeah. together for CTV. And so I heard him say uh, Iggy and just looked up in time to see the goal. So it was probably 30 feet away from me. And uh, that was I, I still list that as probably the number one moment in my career, and I don't think anything will ever pass it. Definitely uh, not. I mean, people went nuts, and, you know, the, I, and again, I think I wrote about this, but you want to go, you wanted to go nuts too, right? I mean, I'm yeah. Canadian, I'm a fan, but journalism school, the one thing it teaches you is when you're on the job, you're not supposed to cheer and not be a fan. I think uh, Kipper and Panger broke those rules because they were jumping up and down. <laughs> but I was just trying to stay pretty stoic and try and capture the moment. And you automatically think about, okay, what are you going to say? Because five minutes from now, as they're handing out the gold medals, I'm going to be the guy on there talking about it. So mm-hmm. what are you going to say about this? So I, I didn't really get a chance to savor the moment. But, uh, yeah, that's still number one in my career. Uh, that whole Olympic experience was fantastic. I love the Olympics. It was I grew up as a, an Olympic geek too, and uh, to be able to be there for that was was something else. Do you think that the NHL will participate in further Olympics? <sighs> That's a great question. I do. I'm just not sure it will be the next one. I hope it is. The players still want to do that. I think they should. I understand the NHL's reasoning. Like it does yeah. interrupt their business. I get all that. I know they've done studies that say that it doesn't really add to their bottom line. And these are all businessmen who are about the bottom line. But I think there's an intangible value to having NHL players in the Olympics. I think that's often the best hockey that we see. Some people argue that Sochi was a boring tournament. I thought that it was still terrific. It was still good. Yeah. And Canada played like just perfect, ridiculous defensive hockey. Mm -hmm. But 2010 was so exciting. And I just think that, you know, you can have these World Cups, but it's just not the same. No, it doesn't bring the same value. It doesn't. And I I just think Olympic hockey is the coolest thing uh, that I've seen in my lifetime, hockey-wise. You know, the Canada Cups were great back in the day when I was younger. Uh, You wouldn't have witnessed those, but they were pretty cool at the time. But I just think Olympic hockey is awesome. And so I think it will get back, but I'm not sure it will get back until it's a more feasible place like, if it comes back to North America for another Winter Olympics, or at least, you know, maybe somewhere somewhere in Europe, that the Asia thing is really difficult because of the distance yeah. and the time change and everything. Uh, so you do host uh, the World Juniors. Uh, does Boxing Day bring a uh, different sentimental feeling to you since you host it? Yeah, I, 
if you know if the Crosby thing is the single highlight of my career, I would say the World Juniors is my favorite event on a year-to-year basis. Right there with the, I mean, there's a couple. The the Masters is right there. Uh, I love the Grey Cup, which is always a fantastic, yeah. fantastic week, and I enjoy the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday. But the World Juniors, from an event perspective, is my favorite event. Uh, it's you know, for my family, it's probably ruined Christmases for about uh, 15, <laughs> 15 straight years because we've never had a normal Christmas because I'm always heading yeah. off somewhere. Or, uh, but now you know they're older; they love it. They come with me with if it's in North America, and uh, I just think it's. Uh, it's great. It's just become this Canadian thing that everybody sits down over the holidays and watches. And it's a, it's a real honor to be a part of it. Yeah, I bet it is. Uh, so since you've done the world juniors for so long, is there one moment that just sticks out from the rest? Probably the Everly goal. In yeah, Ottawa. I was thinking that. Uh, yeah. How old would you have been for that? Just seven or eight? I'm or not too sure. <laughs> Do you remember it or no? I only remember replays. Right. So, you know, for me, that's my hometown. Um, and you know, to be doing a world juniors in Ottawa was really cool. And that moment was, you know, the gold medal streak was on the line. They'd won four in a row and to whatever it was, 5.6 seconds left to score a goal like that. And then for them to go on and win the gold medal, that was, that was probably one of the craziest, uh, along with Vancouver, the craziest scenes in a building when he scored that goal. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I okay. just wanted—I oh, just wanted to uh, say that it was especially better since it was against Russia. Yeah, I think so. Right, Russia and the states are are uh, anytime Canada plays those two those two teams in a World Juniors, it's amazing. Uh, right up there would have been the next year in Saskatoon when uh, Canada came back. Everly scored. You know, a lot of people forget because they remember that goal in Ottawa that Everly scored twice in the last three minutes to tie it. And then John Carlson and the Americans ended the Team Canada gold medal streak in overtime. Yeah. So that game was also pretty electric, except it just went the wrong way for Canadians. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so also, you uh, like you said earlier in this interview, you uh, you do the quiz. So how did that idea come about? Uh, I think our Steve Dryden, who is uh, the evil quiz master. A lot of people think I am the evil quiz master, but... Uh, we have this Larry David type figure named Steve Dryden who works for us. And uh, him and I argue about this because he will take forever credit for the quiz. And I will say this, that he, so one night uh, early in the days of the NHL on TSN, maybe 2005, six, uh, something like that. He was looking for something to fill a segment. He said, why don't we do a quiz? I'll come up with four questions and the guys will all come up with answers. And, and uh, we did it. It was really good. And, uh, I always tell him I'm the one who said to him, you should do that every week. Uh, now I don't, at this point in time, I don't know if I take credit for it anymore, but, uh, just to bug him, I do. So, yeah, so that's what happened. And we started doing it every week. And the funny thing about the quiz, uh, you know, a lot of people like it and yeah. I still enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun. There are some people that say, oh, this is just a gimmicky thing. Well, if you think about the quiz, it's really just a panel segment. It's yeah, no it different. Is. It's no different than any other panel segment we do. It's just we dress it up by having the, the fonts on the screen and me asking the questions. But essentially, it's just me asking the guys four questions and they answer it, which is exactly what we do in every intermission. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, just, it's just that we call it the quiz. So I always laugh when people go, uh, just go back to the normal panel segments. I don't like that gimmicky thing called the quiz. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we, have, we still have fun doing it. That's good. Um, so uh, 
sorry, uh, skipping back to your athletic life, uh, was there a uh, athlete that you looked up to? Yeah, I mean, back to my love of the Expos, Tim Raines was my favorite athlete ever. Yeah. Uh, again, sort of before your time, just got into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. Uh, he came up in, I think, 79 for the Expos when I was young and just getting into baseball. And he was so electric. He, you know, he's back when stolen bases were still a big thing in, in baseball. He would, he would steal every time he got on. Uh, I just love the way he played. Uh, so him from a baseball perspective, he was probably my, you know, as a kid, the athlete I worship more than anybody else. I love Jerry Rice because I was a big San Francisco 49ers fan. I love Joe Montana and Steve Young. Uh, those were my football guys I'm trying to think hockey wise. You know, I, I was an Islander fan when I was a kid. So I, I like Brian Trache a lot. And, uh, you know, Denny Potvin, Mike Bossy, guys like that. Uh, and, Gret, you know, Gretz, I, I liked a lot just because he was Gretz and what he oh, did. Yeah. I, st I still don't think, you know, your generation will ever appreciate, like, how crazy dominant that guy was. Uh, the game's different now. So you watch those old yeah. tapes and you go, uh, it was so slow back then. But he just did stuff that was insane. And uh, so I would say those that was probably my list. That's a good list to have. Um so with Trade Center and with Free Agent Frenzy, uh, you uh, you know you sometimes interview the players that either get traded or signed. Uh, is there one player that sticks out that has been your favorite? Uh, that's a good question. On so Trade Center free agency, uh, I don't know if there's one player per se. I used to really like the interviews with Berkey Brian Burke on uh, yeah. Trade Deadline <laughs> because. You know, every, everybody kind of thinks Berkey hated me or I hated him because he would always give me these one one word answers. But it was kind of a just a running routine we had because uh, I worked with him. He was at TSN during the lockout. And so he would like he would do these interviews with me where I'd ask him 20 questions and he'd just say, yes, no, no comment. <laughs> and then we could get off the air and he'd text me and say, that was pretty funny. Eh? Like it was, it, was, it, was, it was all the whole thing was just a bit. So uh as much as they were painful, I always, I always look forward to those. Uh, the player interviews, gosh, I've done so many that, you know, I can't think of any that really, really stand out uh, on those days. Those days are kind of a blur to me, Michael, because you're on the air for so long. Yeah, uh, I know. You right? have to fill so much time. Yeah. I mean, I remember, uh, uh, you know, some of the guys that uh, are in funny positions when you tell them, I think Ron Tugnet told us that he was on the toilet when we, when he found out he'd been traded, like you heard it on TSN. And uh, yeah, so things like that you remember, but uh, nothing in particular. Oh, that's good. Um, so what are your game day operations like? So on a typical, like a game day for me? Yeah, so let's say, because like, you know, TSN covers the Leafs a lot. So what would you do for the Leafs? Yeah, okay. So uh, I would get up in the morning. Um, I usually go to TSN or NHL.com and I'll, if I haven't watched the games the night before, I'll watch those little five-minute synopsises of all the games to make sure I know what's going on. Uh, I'll read. I'll just read on the internet to uh, make sure I'm caught up on everything league-wise. I probably go into work about maybe two thirty, three o'clock. Uh, we often do our podcast. I have a podcast, a Rubber Boots podcast, that we'll do actually on Leaf games. So sometimes I'll come in at twelve noon. We'll do our podcast. We have a meeting at, say, 3.30 where we'll go over with the evil quiz master and uh, one of my producers, Bill or Jeff, will, the three of us and uh, Puffy, who's on my podcast, will go over 
what we're going to talk about on the show. You know, what are the topics for the panels? Do we have any features? What order might we do it in? And then I'll kind of start. I'm really old school, so I just use pen and paper. Oh, yeah. I like, to, I like to write. I don't, we don't have a teleprompter or anything on that show, so there's no script. I will just write out notes uh, in hand of the order of things and what I want to talk about because we like to keep it as informal a show as possible. And then the guys will come in, Bob and Dregs will arrive, and Pooley and uh, Jeff O'Neill and guys like that. We might be doing insider trading, so we might have a meeting about that. Um, and then we'll have a meeting with those guys again about what they want to talk about. And uh, we do something for, we usually tape something like insider trading, maybe around 5.30, do Sports Center live at 6, then we're on the air live at 6.30 with the pregame show. Okay, that's not bad. Um, so with the coronavirus, how has your day-to-day life uh, been affected by the yeah. NHL postponement? Well, it turned upside down, uh, like everybody else in the business. Uh, I'm still doing a fair amount. Uh, as I said, when I get off with you, I'm doing an interview with Paul Maurice. So we'll try to do a couple of interviews during the week. I'm doing Austin Matthews, I think, later on this week. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do insider trading, everybody from their own home. On Wednesday, we do the quiz. Uh, so we still do as much as we can uh, from here, but obviously there are no games to cover, which makes yeah. it really weird and really strange. And uh, it's the strangest time in my career, without a doubt. Uh, I never thought I would ever uh, go through something like this. Again, we're not going through anything compared to anybody suffering through the disease or whose life has been really affected by it. It's only sports, but there are a lot of livelihoods affected by it, people I work with. And so mm-hmm. um Obviously, I want it back as soon as everybody else wants it back, but only can get back when it's safe to get it back. And I'm really not sure when that'll be. I, you know, I know Trump had a call with the uh, all the commissioners of the various leagues on the weekend, but I think it's pretty optimistic to think that we'd have 20,000 people or in an arena or 70,000 people in a football stadium in August or or even September. So I think it's going to be a very strange time for the next six, eight months, maybe a year ahead till we uh, get this thing under control, hopefully less than that, but uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what would you uh, suggest for the NHL to do if you were the commissioner? I don't think it's, I I can try to answer that question, but I think they just have to follow the health experts like anybody else. Mm -hmm. There's, you can't go out on your own now and try to force something back. You can't put people in arenas. You could, I mean, I I guess they could come back in August if they had some sort of way to test people, you know, test all the players and all the officials. You could come back and and maybe play games with nobody in the rink. I just still think that would be so bizarre. It would be, yeah. Watch people put two teams playing for a Stanley Cup in an empty arena would be the strangest thing ever. I suppose it would be better than nothing for all of us fans. Uh, the NHL is the NBA. I would think that would be a more likely scenario simply because it's the NHL is more of a gate driven league, meaning they more, they need fans in the stands to pay. Yeah. I don't know if it makes sense for them to come back, uh, to have nobody in the stands, but I'm sure that's something they're contemplating right now. Uh, I believe that's probably what's going to happen is that we'll see a lot of these sports with no fans first before we see fans back in there. So it's going to be a very very strange world. Uh, but I, I don't think I, anybody like me could give the NHL advice that would be worthy of anything. 
they have to follow what the me medical experts are saying yeah. and only come back when it is right. But I understand the dilemma because it's costing them, you know, in the billions of dollars the, as mm -hmm. months go on here. So uh, if the NHL season wasn't stopped, uh, who would have been your favorite to win uh, the Stanley Cup? Vegas. Uh, I just thought, I thought all year that Vegas was kind of a sleeping giant, that they weren't having a great, uh, they weren't getting great goaltending from Marc-Andre Fleury throughout the year. And they had some injuries here and there. I mean, a lot of teams did. But when they made the coaching change, uh, and I thought, I think Gerard Gallant's a great coach. So oh, yes, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I'm still skeptical about that change, but sometimes you just change for the sake of change, and it obviously worked well. Mm -hmm. Pete done a really good job, but I really thought that was a, an extremely complete team, really deep team, and now with Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury, and they really started to roll before things stopped here. So, uh, again, that's a crapshoot pick because, you know, there's nothing wrong with Tampa, Washington, yeah. uh, Boston, um, a host of teams, St. Louis looked good again, Colorado looked great. But I, if you, you asked me for one, and that's who I would have picked was Vegas. Yeah, it seems like they have such a lethal duo in the net with two yeah. almost two Vesna Trophy winners. And I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Mark Stone fan. And would, would you have a bunch of other guys' offensive threats up there? And I think he's just a great leader. So, again, uh, you can put about 10 teams in a hat probably and, and have 10 really good choices, and I can make arguments for all of them right here, but uh, Vegas is the one I pick. Yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would agree with you as well. Um, so I'm not sure if you saw, but I interviewed uh, Matt Shinetti, and he said that you're actually his mentor. Uh, so what's that feeling having a colleague look up to you in that sense? Uh, that's, that's very nice of him to say, because uh, I'm a big fan of Shinetti. Uh, he's, I didn't, I didn't know you interviewed him. Maybe you told me that on an email, but, uh, he, uh, you know, first of all, he has a real journalism background too. And, you know, we were talking about journalism earlier and, mm -hmm. you know, if it's something you're going to pursue or any of your friends or any of your listeners here, uh, the one thing I would suggest is that, you know, all those years doing news, and I think Matthew would attest to this as well. I think that it, it prepares you better to be a sportscaster. I think. Uh, there's no, nothing wrong with some of the sports programs out there. I know there's a college of sports media in Toronto that just teaches you how to be a sports broadcaster. And they've had some really good people come out of there. Sean McKenzie being one. Um, but I think that my years in news really helped me become a better writer because you were covering something different every day. One day I'd be at a murder. Yeah. One day I'd be at a city council meeting. One day I'd be at, you know, doing some fluff story at a local fair. So you learn so much, you kind of understand where sports falls in the world, which gives you important perspective. And also, you just learn to be a better all-around reporter and writer. And Matthew, I think, went through that as well, uh, covering news, being a newspaper writer. And I think that shows in his work, where he's just a really good journalist when he does his reports from the sidelines or his reports for SportsCenter. He's just an excellent, excellent journalist. You can see yeah. it in his writing. You can see in the way he covers things. So... Um, I'm a huge fan of what he does. Um, for him to call me a mentor, that's a, that's a massive compliment because uh, you still, I guess I don't think of myself, I've been doing this for a long time now, but you still don't think of yourself that way. You still think that you're learning in the business every single day. So if, uh, if somebody can say that they've learned something from you, I really appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to thank you for coming on today's podcast. Um, yeah, that's uh, all I have. 
All right, buddy. Listen, uh, best of luck with everything. I hope you're hanging in there okay. And uh, to all your listeners out there, hang tough. We'll get through this. We'll have sports back sometime soon. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Take care. Yep. Bye.